our cells are energized by sunlight. Our bodies are energized from touching the earth, receiving electrons, pulling them into the earth, you know? And then again, that water network of the body, the more you study water, you're like, my God, water is everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, forget the nutrition is so boring. It's I'm so tired of talking about it. It's like it, the water is what's really interesting to me. Hey, Medicine Stories friends, welcome to episode 104. I am Amber Magnolia Hill, today sharing my interview with Sarah Kleiner. The sun rules the rhythms and the well-being of all life on earth, and humans are no exception to this rule. With the very recent, evolutionarily speaking, advent of indoor living and the even more recent advent of indoor lighting, we have inadvertently shut down the vital communication between sunlight and ourselves. This is as upstream as it gets when it comes to health, and when we come back into relationship with the sun, all manner of issues like insomnia, obesity, infertility, but so much more can resolve. Let's talk about the science behind circadian rhythm and practical ways to heal with sunlight. Sarah Kleiner is a quantum health coach with the Quantum Biology Collective, Levels 1 and 2, a certified nutrition coach with NASM, and has over 13 years of experience working one-on-one with clients to optimize nutrition, lifestyle, and mindset. Her goal is to shift the paradigm when it comes to circadian rhythms, health, and light, and help people integrate these principles into their lives in a modern world. You'll find much of what we talk about has been touched on before on this podcast. I will link to all those past episodes in the show notes, sunlight, water as a liquid crystal, the matrix of the fascia and quantum biology in general. There are two Patreon bonuses to go with this episode. And I'm stoked to tell you that Patreon is now offering a seven day free trial. So you will find the link there in the show notes, which you can find by scrolling down from wherever you pressed play on this episode, or just going to patreon.com slash medicine stories. If you want to do the seven day bonus, you can catch up on over five years of past medicine stories, podcast bonuses, extra interviews with some guests, online courses, coupon codes, PDF guides, herbal recipes. There's like a ton of stuff there. So if you've kind of always wanted to do it, but never took the plunge, um, this new seven day free trial offering is awesome. So the first of the two bonuses that go along with this episode is a 100% off link to Sarah's three-day circadian kickstart course. You'll learn all about how your body's 24-hour internal clock runs in the background to carry out essential functions and processes for your overall health and wellness. This course covers the science behind your circadian clock and how that influences all the hormonal functions in your body, the specific hormonal functions that are put in motion by your lifestyle habits, how to set up your morning routine, even if you have to be at work before sunrise, must be in your car during sunrise or have children, how to set up your evening routine for optimal sleep and how your current habits might be influencing your body's ability to make adequate melatonin for deep sleep and repair functions, how to troubleshoot around weather, buildings, city life, etc., and more. The second bonus is just a short 10-minute audio recording of me sharing further thoughts on this episode and how it relates to my health journey, which I've just shared so much through the last five and a half years on this podcast that um, I thought some folks might be interested. Like there's, there's things that come up in this conversation with Sarah that are threads that are related to a lot of what I've talked about on this podcast before, but we didn't have time to dive into. So I talk about things like minerals, leptin, bedtime snack, pro-metabolic eating, weight gain, et cetera, just kind of tying some things together that came up during the conversation, but we didn't have time to go into. I want to let you know too that there are six spots left now for my Costa Rica forest bathing retreat that's happening in late September. You might have heard me talk about it on the last episode, episode 103, with my friend Susie Hazen, who will be joining me 
but it's basically going to be super chill and relaxing. That is how we have set up this retreat. The link to sign up if you'd like to go will be below in the show notes. I want to share right before we begin a paragraph from a book I'm reading right now. The brilliant book is called The Human Cosmos, Civilization and the Stars by Joe Marchand. And I just read this. I just happened to be reading this book for the last month or so and just read this paragraph a few days ago, and it just speaks perfectly to what this episode is about. The most important timing signal is sunlight detected by cells in the retina of the eye. Information regarding the timing of sunrise and sunset is sent to a central pacemaker in the brain, which in turn regulates secondary clocks throughout the body. Not enough bright light during the day or too much light in the evening can dampen or disrupt these clocks, throwing the body's complex choreography into chaos. Rhythms weaken or become disconnected from each other, causing health problems from insomnia and depression to obesity, cardiovascular disease, and even cancer. Leading chronobiology researcher Russell Foster has warned that despite the modern technologies that enable us to wake, sleep, and work whenever we like, quote, human biology remains profoundly dependent on the 24-hour revolution of the earth upon its axis. Our increasing separation from geophysical cycles is a ticking time bomb, he argues. I love this conversation and how it ties into my past conversations on minerals, because really what we're talking about here is elemental interbeing. The minerals in our bodies come from the stars. The sun sets the circadian rhythm that is like the master pacemaker for all the other hormonal cascades that happen in our in our bodies. And as Sarah and I talk about in this episode too, the moon, of course, has a profound impact, especially on women. I mean, it's not like fluffy pseudoscience to say that we are cosmic beings. We are deeply intertwined with the elements that were here before we were here. And these beings that we see when we look up in the sky are not distant and detached from us. They are so deeply interwoven with every cell in our body. And I just love learning about this and talking about it. So I really hope that you enjoy, benefit from, and learn some life-changing information from this interview with Sarah Kleiner. All right. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Medicine Stories. I'm so, I've had my life thoroughly changed since my friend Susie and recent podcast guest told me to follow you on Instagram. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. It's so lovely to be here. And that's, I'm so happy to hear that. That's really awesome. Yeah. Let's, you know, start, start at the beginning, your story, your life, your children, you're I just so interested. I, I have two girls who are 10 years apart and yours are what about mm. 14, 15? 15, 15. Yeah, 15, 15 years. years. Yeah. Um, and you learned yeah. a lot in the interim. And I'm mm. also really interested, and you know, we'll get into this after we hear more about you, but just this big picture of Homo sapiens evolved living outside, and the sun is is everything to life on earth. And mm-hmm. we've disconnected ourselves from that reality very much to the detriment of our health. A hundred percent, 110%. And, and it keeps, as I evolve in this journey, it continues to show itself in just a multitude of ways. And I continue to learn more. And the more I learn, the more I'm like, let me try to piecemeal this out to people who are watching my content in a way that they can understand and digest because I never want to overwhelm people completely because it it can be super overwhelming once you kind of have that light bulb moment you're like oh my gosh (laughs) what are we doing as a civilization and how can I make this work when I have a busy life and I have kids and I have a job and I have all this stuff so I always want to make it approachable for people so that they can do little things to implement. So yeah, it's it's a constant it's a constant evolution and constant learning and unlearning. Mm-hmm. Well, you're so good at that. I mean, you know, that's why you have over a hundred thousand followers is because you you do make the content um, bite size and digestible. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And 
You know, I guess I could really say my health journey started with my daughter when she was a year. She regressed into non-speaking autism following a well child well visit. visit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. A well baby visit. I'm sure your listeners can kind of read between the lines on that one. You know, we were, we actually, the same night of that well baby visit, we were in the emergency room because she was throwing up uncontrollably and screaming uncontrollably. And they said, oh, well, this was a reaction to something that was administered to her earlier that day, but she'll be fine. And she never was fine. She could speak. It's normal, right? Yeah, it's normal. And she could speak better at 13 months than she could um, now at 15. It's, Mm -hmm. It's pretty tragic. And this is a story that happens to people every day that they are told, you know, we're told in the mainstream that it's these women that talk about these things are witches and they're liars and it's not real and science shows otherwise, but you know, the narrative is slowly being stripped away every day. 2020 was a big like magnifying glass on this issue. And so I think people now, one of the things that came out of 2020 are more open to hearing information like this and stories like this, but that was what started things for me. There are so many. Oh, it's everywhere. And, And, and Yeah. Moms like you sharing your stories, you know, and have inspired moms like me to just skip those well baby visits. So thank you. Yeah. Yep. And the, the my new baby, you know, he has never had any of that intervention and he's amazing. I mean, he's doing amazing. The doctors are all like, because we do for my husband, we see a doctor that allows us to skip all of those interventions. That's our compromise. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, he's so ahead. Oh my goodness. He's doing all this so early. I'm like, is it really early though? Or is it that all of our children are receiving these things that are causing them to be behind what they should actually be? Right. You know, are we injuring all these children? And maybe the injury doesn't manifest the way that it did for my daughter as severely for every child, but it manifests in other ways like ear infections and chronic illness and speech delays and, you know, eczema and all these other things. I think that children are really a lot more sick these days than they were definitely when I was growing up. Over half, one in two, one in two children and one in two adults has a chronic illness now. Exactly. And so there's, we have to start looking at everything. You know, I talk about the circadian health and the light story, huge, huge, huge for our children. This is also something that, you know, is something we have to look at, but you know, that was my, I guess if you have a red pill moment in your health journey, that was mine because I had always just said, okay, whatever the doctors say, cool, I'll do what I'm told. All right. You know, I just kind of had this like status quo life and that shook everything. It changed everything for me. I had to quit my job because I had to be home with her. She needed intense care and therapies and it was just impossible for me to work. So I gave up my career and I was on this, that's the search. I became a mom that was like, I have to f- fix this problem. I have to reverse the damage that was done. And we drove, you know, went New York, LA, Florida. We saw doctors all over the country. We tried all these different protocols and diets and, and detox protocols and everything. And unfortunately, we were really not able to undo the damage. Um, and she still deals as a 15-year-old with significant, significant challenges that are very life-altering for all of us. But, you know, we are grateful that she's still here with us. We love her. That was the, the, the moment when I realized that I was being lied to about pretty much everything with our nutrition, with our food, you know. And so it kind of sent me down this health journey rabbit hole. I eventually became a yoga teacher because I, it was my way of kind of managing stress. I was very stressed out. And so yoga was very helpful for me and meditation. So I actually became a teacher and that was something that I could do and help other people while she started going to school a few hours a day, things like that. And so that was a huge part of my life for many years. And then my health really started going downhill. I would say my late thirties, mid thirties, it started having, I started having issues. There's just chronic stress does a number on your body, right? That's what it's like when you're raising a kid with special needs, just always some stress happening. And so my health was kind of just really going downhill. And by the time I was about 39, I couldn't do yoga the way that I wanted to. I love to kind of do the more fun athletic types of yoga. And 
my joints were hurting so bad. My gut was such a mess. My skin, I was having eczema flares constantly, um, had been to multiple GI doctors and they just were like, eat more fiber, take some fiber pills, whatever. It was just dumb. <laughs> and so again, I'm like, I have to take my health into my own hands. And so I actually started doing a carnivore diet. I was told by a friend of mine to try that. And I was like, that's literally the most insane thing I've ever heard. Like, why would I do that? But I was like so desperate at the time that I decided to try it. And within about 30 days, all my skin issues were gone. My gut issues were gone. I felt great. My skin was cleared. I mean, everything was like amazing. I had a flat stomach for the first time in years. And so I'm like, this is it. You know, I found it. And my mental health was like amazing mental clarity. So I started this kind of Instagram page just as a joke. as called the carnivore yogi, which like was completely polarizing to a lot of people, but I ended up building a community there and, and really meeting a lot of cool people there. And then about two years into the carnivore journey, I realized that, you know, I think the thing with elimination diets is that they're meant to be done for a period of time. And then we need to be adding in local seasonal foods. That's the way that we're meant to live. We don't really want to live in this constant state of, you know, ketosis, more of like an eternal winter, really. We're not supposed to do that. And so I started, I decided I wanted to get pregnant and I thought everything's optimized. I've been on this great diet for two years. I had just turned 41. And then we were like, let's, we got to do this baby thing. If we're going to do it, it's like now or never. So I got pregnant very quickly and I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. You know, I was so excited. My first first time, really first time we tried, I got pregnant. And then I had never lost a baby before. So I didn't know that I, I always just assume you get a positive pregnancy test and then you're good. You know, that's it. That's that had been my experience before. And we ended up losing that baby and I was freaking devastated. But, you know, all my doctors were like, eh, you know, it's your age and the next one we'll take. I'm sure it'll be fine. So we ended up trying and trying for a few more months and then getting pregnant again a couple months later. And I just had this bad feeling about it the whole time. I'm like, I, I don't think this is a, I just didn't have a good feeling about it. And then I lost that one. And then, and then I was like, okay, something's really wrong. So I, then I started down the route of IVF thinking like I was convinced by one of my doctors that that would be more of a sure thing to do that. So we went down that rabbit hole. And at the same time, I was spending, probably spent over six figures on this journey to get, have a baby. I was doing the allopathic route with IVF, but then at the same time, because of my podcast and just knowing a lot of people, I was reaching out to a lot of people in my community, functional medicine doctors, doing a ton of testing taking a ton of supplements, just doing all the functional stuff with the allopathic stuff, hoping that something would work. Probably spent over $100,000 between those two routes, equally expensive mm -hmm. between functional medicine testing and then IVF. Um, and then did two rounds of IVF that were unsuccessful. We didn't even get any embryos at all, nothing. I never had anything that would manifest. And so the doctors at that point are like, you need to consider donor eggs if you want to have a baby because it's just not going to happen for you. You're too old. You know, I was 41 and they're like, you're, or I know I had turned 42 at that point. And they're like, you're just too old and you've been trying and just really consider donor eggs. And my gut was like, that's bullshit. I know that's bullshit. And I interviewed a doctor named Dr. Jack Cruz when I was going through that round of IVF, the second one that had failed. And he, I talked with him offline as I did everybody at the time. And he's like, you need to learn about leptin. You need to learn about light, all the things I teach, um, circadian biology and quantum biology that is going to get you pregnant and let go of all the supplements and things that you're taking They're They're not helping you. They're probably hindering you, in fact, because they're really high in deuterium. And deuterium leads to, to slower mitochondrial function, which this is a mitochondrial issue. And I just, something in my body was like, yes, this is the path for me. This is what I need to do because I don't believe what all these other people are telling me that I need to keep on pursuing this route with donor eggs, you know, not have a baby that's even really biologically mine. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that if people want to pursue that route, but I just, in my gut, I knew that wasn't what was meant for me. 
and that this baby, I, I had had an experience in 2016 because I, I never thought I was going to have another kid because my daughter was so difficult. But in 2016, I went to see an intuitive medium because I wanted to talk with my dad. He had passed when I was like 18 and I really wanted to talk with my dad. And at that session, a little boy showed up and he was apparently like jumping up and down and he's like, mom, I'm healthy. I'm healthy. And I'm like, what the heck? And my medium was like, there's a little spirit boy that wants you to know he is healthy and you can bring him here if you want to bring him here. And if you don't want to bring him here, it's okay. He's always going to be with you. Like he kind of in that session, he, this little spirit baby, like got on my side and kind of melted himself to me. And she was like, it's okay. If you don't want to bring him here, he wants you to know that, but he is always going to be with you. And if you do make that decision to bring him here, he's going to be healthy and he's going to be fine. And he doesn't want you to worry. And that was in 2016. I could never get that out of my head. Right. And so that was kind of what had sent me on this journey. So I kind of just had this spirit boy in my mind. And, and here's a story. The miscarriages that I had and the IVF that we did, the we tested the embryos. They were girls. The ones that I had lost, the miscarriages, I had lost girls. We did an IVF get two embryos, but they had so many genetic abnormalities that they would not allow me to transfer them girls. So I had at that point had four girl embryos. So that's another thing that kind of made me not give up on the journey. I was like, okay, this boy is coming, right? So really just back to the story, I had that intention in my heart. I knew that this, this boy was trying to come and I dove into quantum health, circadian biology with both feet, literally in 2021, the near the end of 2021, probably like September after I talked to Dr. Cruz, I went on and got trained in quantum biology, level one and two coaching, um, started implementing it with a lot of my clients that were just like super stuck. and they were starting to have improvements. I started feeling better really quickly. I actually lost 30 pounds and I wasn't trying to lose weight. I was trying to get pregnant, but I optimized my leptin, um, which really controls your body weight also and started sleeping. Like everything in my health just got so much better. And then that January, I was like, well, if this doesn't work, then I'll consider maybe doing like another round of IVF. I was kind of at that point, but I got pregnant in January, 2022. And then my son, James was born in October, happy, healthy. And he's seven months old now. He's doing freaking amazing. But it was like, when I found out it was a boy, I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is legit. Like all of this is like, just legit, you know? Yeah. I've just really become super passionate about helping people implement these things because it saves them a lot of money and they feel better so much faster. And I feel like it's the way that we really, as humans are meant to be living in the first place. So yeah, that's my long story here. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I learned some new things about you. Yeah. I mean, I've talked a lot on this podcast about evolutionary mismatch, right? Like we are mm -hmm. the exact same homo sapiens as our hunter-gatherer ancestors were physiologically, and yet we're living in these totally unprecedented ways. Like it's brand new. Living indoors is brand new to the human species. Mm -hmm. um, artificial lighting is yes. brand spanking new, right? So, I mean, I had heard, you know, the blue block, like Dave fucking Asprey and his blue blockers, you know. And oh, like, I know. That's the first time I heard about it. And then that's why I kind of was like, it's bullshit. Exactly. I'm like, <laughs> you know, stupid. No, thank you. Into now. Um, right. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then as someone who has been extremely interested in ancestral health and like reclaiming whatever bits of those life ways I can in, in the 21st century it makes sense. Of course, it makes sense that when we are aligned with the rising and setting of the sun, that's, that's giving signals to our biology. So that's what I really started to understand from you. And okay, first, I would like you please to I define quantum biology. Like, what, what do we mean when we talk about quantum? So we're talking about quantum physics also. And so understanding kind of how our bodies work in this quantum way. So a little small stimulus can create a large result, you know, and the, the cells in our body have what's called quantum coherence. We communicate through the water network in our body, which everyone is so focused on chemical and looking at chemical outputs, you know, looking at 
cells under a microscope, which they are devoid of the water. So you really Mm -hmm. don't, you're not getting an accurate picture because you're not looking at the water network. So we're looking at things more on this quantum scale of the coherence within the body of how our hormones are these messengers, right? And they rely on signals versus putting in a supplement or taking a hormone as a first line of reaction. I'm not totally against that for people who are older, but we are, I just, we're looking at things the wrong way. So that's the way I kind of describe quantum biology for people is just understanding the body being running on a DC electric current, being electric and getting energy from sunlight, light, magnetism, water. That's what Dr. Cruz talks about a lot. Our cells are energized by sunlight. Our bodies are energized from touching the earth, receiving electrons, pulling them into the earth, you know? And then again, that water network of the body, the more you study water, you're like, my God, water is everything. Yeah. (laughs) You know, forget the nutrition is so boring. It's I'm so tired of talking about it. It's like the water is what's really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a couple water episodes and I learned from Carrie, your friend, Carrie B. Yes. That I've just had this total reframe around. um, Yeah. So the biochemical view of health is not only modern medicine and um, pharmaceutical, but it's also herbalism, right? Which is where Mm -hmm. I've been coming from for the last 15 years. And it's not that it's invalid. It's just that there's a deeper level. And that is, yeah, the electrical, intracellular, fascial, lightning speed. It's literally like a thousand times faster conductivity. And that's not even talking about like the uh, non-locality, you know, between. So I feel like, you know, you, you finding carnivore and being like, okay, this is it. But then you just peel back layers and layers. And I think that's kind of what we're all doing. And so for me, you know, I've shared on the podcast before about, you know, just my completely depleted minerals and like the state of burnout that I'm sort of slowly coming out of. And what, what I've come to is for me, the two foundational pieces are the remineralization. Cause if I'm not having enough um, electrolytic minerals through my body, that conductivity is very much, you know, being blocked and mm-hmm. the circadian rhythm, like they're, I just, these, that's all I'm focusing on. I, I cannot think about food restriction. I cannot think about nutrition. Yeah. Not that I'm eating shit, but you know, you know. Okay. So I'm curious, you've had some big weight gains and weight losses, and Mm -hmm. I want to understand more about leptin, what it is and how it is controlled by, by the sun or how the interaction between sun and human body um, mediates these hormones. Yeah. So leptin is this master circadian signaling hormone. And it's, if you have infertility, if you have hormone imbalance, I'm like, look, what are your leptin levels? Those are the first thing that I have people look at is their leptin. Most people, a lot of people are leptin resistant. If, if you're, if you're overweight at all, you're leptin resistant. But that was, you know, where I was at. I'm like, okay, something's not right with my fertility. I checked my leptin and it was actually very low. So there's kind of more of an optimal range I like people to be in. And mine was like way under that range. Leptin is again, a master circadian signaling hormone. It's supposed to dock to your hypothalamus at night when you sleep. And that docking is usually around midnight. So if you're not getting good quality sleep, if you haven't given your body enough time, like if you haven't gone to bed early enough for your body to get into that deeper stage of sleep where that leptin docking can actually happen, you can create leptin resistance. So that's why it's circadian rhythms are so important. So blue light at night, not getting to bed early enough, eating too late, all of those things are going to block leptin signaling. Insulin competes with leptin for that docking space. So let's, you know, there's a big trend of like eating uh, dates and drinking milk and stuff before bed, like having a bedtime snack that can actually interfere with leptin signaling. You can become leptin resistant if you're eating too close to bed because it raises your insulin and then insulin competes with leptin and that docking never happens. So when that happens, leptin docking to your hypothalamus, it gives uh, information to your brain about how much stored energy is on your body in body fat, stored glucose in the liver, and then it takes instructions. And so your thyroid uh, function is heavily tied to leptin because if you are not getting a signal 
of how much stored energy there is, your body kind of doesn't know what to do. And so a lot of people will have like thyroid issues are huge these days. So your thyroid can really downregulate. That is what happened to me. I had very low uh, T3 hormone and then your metabolism becomes slow. Then your appetite becomes skewed. And even if you're not eating too much, because that's that was what had miffed me so much. It's like, I'm eating a freaking carnivore diet. I'm not eating any sugar, any junk food at all. And now I've just gained 20 pounds and this makes zero sense. But I was leptin resistant that that communication wasn't happening and it downregulated my thyroid. Leptin also signals your immune system. Signal, again, signals your sex hormones because we have to have this information exchange. So it's a really key hormone that wasn't even discovered until 1994. And most doctors, if you ask them about it, know very little to nothing about it. Now, the cool thing is I have courses now and I have had a lot of doctors actually take my course, which is kind of like, wow, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, (laughs) you know, like you're taking my course, but I've created enough interest around it so that a lot of doctors are now understanding the importance of this with their female patients, especially men can have leptin resistance. Also, a lot of them do, but a lot of practitioners are now like, oh, wow, this is something I have been completely missing. So it's a super important hormone. And it was absolutely key for me to reclaim my fertility as well. Wow. So, okay, let's sort of go throughout a day. And because it, I had a lot of questions about this. I'm sure everyone does like, okay, so what constitutes sunrise and what exactly is the sunrise doing for me? And I've come to think of it as there's like kind of four distinct phases in what I'm paying attention to in the day. And you can, you know, tell me if something's wrong or just expound There's sunrise. There's the time in the morning before the angle of the sun in the sky is, is at 10 degrees, right? Or is it? Yeah. yeah. Degrees. Yep. Zero to 10 is sunrise. Yeah. Zero to 10. And you can get the Circadian Life app to tell you what's going on in the D-Minder app mm-hmm. I use as well. And then there's the time when UVA rays are available. And this is mm-hmm. between 10 and 30 degrees. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating because this changes every single day, literally. Every day. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Sunrise. When you look at like it is. the sun in the sky, it does like this infinity uh-huh. over the course of the year. It's It's a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, we moved into a new house last fall and we have like uh, just a bigger view sort of than we did before. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so cool to see where the sun rises and sets and how that shifts. And we haven't even been here yet. And now that I'm looking at these apps every day too, it's just fascinating. So there's that. And I want to talk about like each distinct phase and what it means. And then there's basically most of the day when at this time of year, May right now, there's a lot of UVB, there's vitamin D available, which is mm-hmm. not going to be the case in the wintertime so much where I live. And then there's sunset. And each of these different phases of the day signals different things to our bodies. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Let's start with sunrise. So sunrise is really where your body starts to make that shift out of melatonin into cortisol. So that hormonal shift is really taking on, like it starts happening technically after that little hibernation period between 12 and two, it's, you'll start to get a little bit of a cortisol rise, but you don't want too much, right? So sunrise kind of allows for this gradual shifting totally out of melatonin into cortisol that happens. And then UVA is really where a lot of the magic happens with uh, thyroid hormone, sex hormones, all of those things, serotonin, dopamine, and serotonin that you synthesize in UVA light gets recycled into melatonin that night. So it's like this, this cool cycle of melatonin getting recycled in serotonin, serotonin getting, it's, it kind of goes in a cycle. So a lot of people don't think like bedtime and how well I sleep depends on just what I do at night and my bed, my bed. No, it's actually during, you're making melatonin, you're harvesting light, your cells are harvesting light, usually in that morning UVA time to be used at night for melatonin to be, to be made. You also make melatonin subcellularly. Your mitochondria makes melatonin in response to near-infrared light, which is available throughout the day. And it's about 42% of the sun in the midday sun. So you're making subcellular melatonin. And what that's kind of doing is cleaning up 
little, it's like your kids leave a bunch of junk around the house, right? And getting that sunlight on your skin during the day. Yes, there's vitamin D in the UVB window, but also it's kind of like going around and just kind of cleaning up after your kids during the day when you're getting that near infrared light on mm-hmm. your skin, because it's making that subcellular melatonin in your mitochondria. So that when you are sleeping, when you're making more of that pineal melatonin, which is only like 5% of the melatonin that we make, can actually work better. You can get more deep cleaning and healing and repair. So again, we always talk about bedtime routine in a cold, dark room, a blah, 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 blah. All the biohackers talk about all like this sleep and repair process starts in UVA, right? And kind of continues as you get uh, sunlight on your skin throughout the day, right? So it's this, I mean, it, we're just like so wonderfully made and it's just such an intelligent system that nature has designed and you know uv rays everyone talks about how damaging they are i have not been able to find any studies and i always challenge people to show them to me which no one has in the years i've been talking about this the studies that have been done on uv and cancer have all been done using narrow band uv lamps right? So just the only ray that you're getting is UV. You're not getting red, near infrared, all the other rays of sun, all those other colors, you're not getting that because near infrared actually has like a little bit of a sunscreen built into it. So the damage, the ROS created by UV is actually being cleaned up little by little when that near infrared is mixed in with UV. So ROS reactive oxygen species is basically in the mitochondria when energy, which is electrons is not able to tunnel appropriately because the space between those respiratory proteins is really far apart, which is what basically mitochondrial dysfunction is. Then it creates ROS, which is like inflammation in the body. And not all inflammation is not bad. It's not like this horrible, evil thing. But if you have too many lost electrons, essentially too much lost energy in your body, that's when you see everything really slowing down. You're getting a lot of inflammation and your body is just less and less efficient. There's less energy potential in the body. And isn't there something with the UVA that it helps you actually synthesize and absorb vitamin D when that becomes available later in the day as well. Yeah. So there's this hormonal cascade that happens when you start your day with sunrise. I always tell people if they're going to do sun exposure in the middle of the day, don't just wake up at like 11 a.m. and go straight outside, right? You want to have prepped your eyes and your skin to get into that stronger UV light and use an app like Deminder to make sure you're not staying out there too long because you can burn yourself. You can photo age your skin. It is a thing. I don't care who says it's not, but you can. But when you begin your day with sunrise and UVA, as I mentioned, you know, you've got this hormonal cascade happening from those two different times of the day. And that hormonal cascade is actually prepping your skin so that it can synthesize more vitamin D and you can create more melanin as well, which is kind of what brings on the tan. If you're wearing glasses, contacts, or sunglasses, remember the signal comes in through the super through the retina via the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is attached to the hypothalamus, signaling all these hormones, all these things to release. If you're wearing sunglasses, glasses, contacts, that is kind of like putting a tarp over a plant and like wondering why it's not growing, right? So all these things work together and those earlier frequencies, sunrise and UVA help to precondition your skin. So I want to talk about just sort of making it practical. You have amazing resources on this that dive deeper. But for me, when I started learning about all this from you about two months ago, it was still really freaking cold outside. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in like a deep fatigue and I just started by opening my door a few inches and sticking my head out and making sure that the, the sun rise light. So before the, the sun is at 10 degrees in the sky, um, was hitting my eyeballs for, I mean, some days I could only do it for like one minute. Some days I would do it for five minutes someday. Now I'm out there 
you know, I'm out there for half an hour during that phase. And then I'm out there again, once the UVA light comes in and trying to spend as much time as possible out there, but like it worked as Mm -hmm. far as resetting my sleep schedule. It very quickly, I just started naturally waking up at 630, ready to go to the bathroom and then ready to go outside and start my day. And now I'm going to bed earlier as well. And it just, I was like, wow, that happened so much faster than I thought it was going to that like my sleep wake cycles synced to the suns. Yeah. I mean, and that's people are like, I need to buy an alarm clock. I need this. I'm like, you might have to use an alarm. You probably will have to use an alarm like the first few days, but literally most people on like day four, sometimes even day three of doing this consistently with the bedtime routines as well, blocking blue light at night, all that stuff. They're up when the sun comes up. And me, now that I've been doing this a couple of years, it changes throughout the year. So I naturally wake up later in the winter time and earlier in the summertime. My body just kind of like makes these little gradual changes because I'm so synced up to the sun. I'm synced up to moon as well. Like my menstrual cycles have synced also to the moon. And that happened really quickly too, which is another thing. Cause when you're seeing sunrise and you're out there, you can usually see a little bit of the moon also. If it's not a new moon, you usually can see a little sliver of the moon as well. So you're you're getting that moon connection as well. You don't have to go out at night and look at the moon. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. And you're a lot of women, it's crazy when they do this practice, their cycles will change. And they're like, oh, yeah, my period early. I'm my period late. I'm like, okay, but let's look at what happens in the next 28 days. I bet that your body was trying to catch on to moon cycle, or it's trying to hitch up to a moon cycle. And that happens a lot. It's, it's, it's kind of funny how quickly it happens. That's so cool. I have noticed that, yeah, the moon is out there when I go out, even though it's, it's light, it's daytime, the sky is mm-hmm. blue. And I've, I've really just been transfixed by it and just really feeling like, oh, so amazing. We can just like see the moon and it has these crazy effects on all life on earth. And, um, and my, yeah, my period was a couple days late last time. It's interesting. My friend Susie, who's been my buddy and looking, looking at (laughs) sunrise and sunset every day, hers was just four days late. I'm going to have to let her know about this. I'm curious, is it generally that women's cycles are syncing up to bleed at the new moon? It's different. And so this is something interesting. A lot of women are that are calling in a baby or that are more in that reproductive age, a lot of them, especially if they're trying to call in a baby, they are bleeding with the new moon and they're ovulating with the full moon because melatonin is actually a bit of a contraceptive, believe it or not. And mm-hmm. so if you think about it, the moon is a brightness that light after after night after sunset any artificial light which the moon is not really artificial light but it's light it's brightness after sunset it's going to block melatonin production and so a lot of women that again are kind of calling in a baby or in their more reproductive fertile years they'll have that cycle and then i find a lot of women that are out of that so i just got my cycle back my son is 7 months now but i just have had it now twice and i had the opposite so bleed on full moon and then ovulate on the new moon because I'm not really trying to call in a baby right now. And I, in women that are kind of shifting into a different phase of their life or more expressing themselves and, and being in, in that phase, they'll find they shift in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fascinating to see that change and not, it doesn't happen for a hundred percent of people, but a lot of people it happens for, and it's kind of cool to see that. That's so cool. I think mine is shifting towards bleeding with the new moon, which I've always preferred that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> the, cal- the calmer energy. The calm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So then there's solar noon, which is different from noon on the clock because like we're talking about the sun is constantly shifting where it's at in the sky. And this is when the solar energy is strongest. And when you can synthesize the most vitamin D, if that's like, if, you know, I just like don't have time to be really outside that day, but I note, but my app is like solar noon's coming up. I'm like, okay, I'll at least mm-hmm. go sit outside for like or five, 10 minutes right now and know that I got something accomplished vitamin D wise. 
Yeah. And all the colors of the spectrum of the sun are available at solar noon. That's like the time of day when everything is available. So it's kind of a cool time. If you can take a, a little sun break or a light break during that time, it's a great time to go out. And then, yeah, if you're in summer months, then that's when UVB is going to be the strongest. And if you are trying to get some vitamin D, if you're a lighter Fitzpatrick skin type, which the D-Minder app can kind of help you determine that as well, then you're not going to spend as much time out there as you would, you know, let's say you got the first part of UVB or you're getting that last part of UVB to get vitamin D. So the the UV index is not going to be usually as high in the latter or earlier parts of the day when UVB begins to show up. And then what happens in our brains and bodies when we view the sunset and then moving into the evening block, the blue light that comes from our screens and our light bulbs? Yeah. So melatonin is just like one of my favorite things to talk about lately. I'm just so fascinated by it. It's so important for our bodies and for all the healing and repair to actually happen. We need melatonin. And when we are viewing sunset, it actually starts to cue the body to lower cortisol to kind of turn the cortisol down This daytime is making cortisol start to turn that down. And then we go inside, put on our blue blockers and hopefully get to bed at, a, a you know, before 10 o'clock. I like people to nine o'clock is great before 10. Definitely. If you can, your body starts to really stop making the cortisol and start to turn on melatonin production. Viewing sunset can also help offset if there is a little bit of blue light exposure, which it's not a license to go blast yourself with blue light, but it can offset a little bit of that. If like, let's say someone turns on an overhead light or someone's got the TV on and you walk by without your blue blockers, it's not, it, it can help a little bit to curb some of the negative effects because you've just gotten a nice strong signal for your body to start winding down. But, you know, artificial light at night is... I feel like it's the new smoking, honestly. And it's the science is very abundant in this area. There's a lot of research in this area. And I'm always like, if you're curious, just type it into your trusted search engine, blue light at night and obesity or artificial light at night and obesity, artificial light at night and cancer, artificial light at night and Alzheimer's. Like there is like a ton of stuff that's going to pop up. And if you think about why, why are all these hormonal cancers and obesity and type 2 diabetes and mood disorders, Alzheimer's, why are all these things so heavily associated with artificial light at night? Because again, artificial light at night sends a signal via the retina, suprachiasmatic nucleus to the brain to start producing cortisol. Blue light is really the, what our body takes a cue from, the blue light in the sky, because blue, all blue light's not bad. When you go outside, I'm getting a lot of blue light right now, but it's also balanced out with the other spectrum colors of the sun and it's ever changing. Like a blue light on our phone is 5,700 Kelvins. That's the same amount of intensity that you're going to be getting in the noonday June sun, right? So should we be looking at our phone at 10 o'clock at night in the middle of winter? Hell no, because you're telling your body it's noon in the middle of the June for it to make the corresponding amount of cortisol. So and cortisol opposes melatonin. So you can't make them both at the same time. So if you're exposing your eyes to the artificial light after night at, at night, then you're not making melatonin. You're continuing to make cortisol and putting yourself at risk for all of these things because melatonin is this master antioxidant that cleans, like I said earlier, it cleans up that the cells. It, it, autophagy and apoptosis happen because of melatonin. And melatonin also, like I was talking about earlier with ROS, the le electrons that get lost in the space between respiratory proteins in the mitochondria, melatonin actually shrinks the space between respiratory proteins in the mitochondria so the mitochondria can repair in our sleep. So it's, again, people just aren't really educated about this. And so they will lay in their phone in their bed and scroll and turn on overhead lights and watch TV and let their kids have iPads and screens and stuff. And people are getting sicker and sicker. And I think that this is a huge contributor for, for a ton of people. And they're like, I need to try this diet. I need to try this exercise plan. I need to try this food plan. And I'm like, have you tried blue blockers first? Mm -hmm. You know, have you tried cutting off the lights, you know, letting your home be a little bit more of a circadian friendly environment? 
And maybe, yeah, if you want to try healthier diet, I'm all for that. I think it's important to eat seasonally, locally, ancestrally, but you may not have to like kill yourself to, to be perfect on this diet. If you've got these other things in place, cause your body's getting the signals that it needs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to me how people in my life who I've shared this with are just so resistant, right. To not being on their phone at yeah. night or yeah. to, I mean, I've, I've always been sensitive to light. So as soon as it's dark, we have like low, low lighting just from a lamp or two. And so how about red shifting your phone? Does that do much helpful. I keep my phone screen red all the time, honestly, unless I have to post, you know, on Instagram and I need to see what the colors actually look like Um, because it's unfiltered blue light. And that is heavily linked to myopia, heavily linked to myopia. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a, a lot of research around this one. People to blame the sun for myopia. Again, the sun has all the other colors balancing so that we're, we're, nature doesn't make mistakes. Like this is not an accident that we have all these other colors to balance out that blue light and the blue light changes throughout the day. But if we're looking at noonday sun constantly, even if it's four o'clock in the afternoon or 10 o'clock in the morning, we're still sending a confusing signal and it's eventually going to create eyesight issues. And that was one of the weirdest things for me when I started this lifestyle that I didn't really think was going to happen. I didn't even, it was like, I had a lot of stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that's weird that that fixed that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started wearing blue blockers, my eyesight got better because mm. I was starting to, I was like, well, I'm 40 and your eyesight starts getting mm-hmm. bad after you're 40. So I guess I'll have to make that appointment to see eye doctors at some point. And then I was really being consistent with these light hygiene practices, keeping my phone screen red, wearing the blue blockers and my eyesight improved. Mm. And I was like, huh. That's interesting. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I've been keeping my screen on Redshift all day for years, and I'm 42, and my eyes are still perfect. I keep being like, "Is yep. it going to happen?" Everyone says it happens in your 40s, but thus far, it's yep. been just fine. Um, and then I also now at night, if I am going to be on my phone, I wear the blue blockers, even though my phone's on Redshift, because I have found Same. it makes such a diff. I just I can't stay awake once I get those blue blockers on. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. It's so helpful. And talking to you now is actually really helping me further clarify that I just need to go to bed when my six-year-old daughter goes to bed because she's falling asleep around 830. And then I'm like, cool. It's my me time, right? That's like, we get so used to that when they're little. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm like kind of forcing myself to stay awake, even though the... (laughs) red light and my eyes is making me so tired. But, but now what's happening is I'm getting up before her, which has never happened. It's always been, she was an early riser and I'm like, uh, wake your dad up while I sleep in. And then I'm like dragging all day. Right. But since I've reset, I'm up an hour, hour and a half before she is. And if I just start going to bed when she does letting go of that idea that this hour I have afterwards is everything, I'll have that time instead in the morning when I have a natural surge of cortisol through my body from viewing the sunrise. And it's just like that energy flows so much better in my life than trying to Mm -hmm. cram it all into the nighttime hours. That's so hard as a mom, you know, because I get that having my a daughter with a lot of special needs as well as now a seven month old. And it's like, man, babies are they're exhausting sometimes. And you just want to turn your brain off and disassociate a little bit sometimes. Like, let me just scroll on my phone, but it's not self-care. I have to reframe it for myself and be like, this is not actually self-care. This is going to damage my hormones. It's going to mess with my sleep. And then the other thing is, you know, there's a high amount of non-native EMF that comes from our phones and, you know, our pineal gland senses non-native EMF as a light form. So just because our eyes can't actually see it, the pineal gland can sense non-native EMF and it's a form of light that can also interfere with melatonin production. And so this is, you know, everyone's like, like I said earlier, dark room and blackout curtains and da da da. And I'm like, yeah, but if your Wi-Fi is like right next to your bed or your phone is charging next to your body, or you're wearing an eye, you know, Apple watch because you want to track your sleep, you are interfering with the body's ability to make melatonin because 
again, your pineal gland is sensing that as a form of light. And so that's the other thing of, I'm like, okay, I need to really give my body the best chance possible. Go put the phone in another room and get my butt to bed, you know? Yep. I moved my like electric strip um, as far away from my bed as possible because we use a sound machine at night. I have a teenage daughter who makes sound, you know, so I'm like, I do need some electricity going, but yeah, I never, ever have my phone charging near my bed. And we set up that timer to turn off the Wi-Fi in the evening time, have, you know, have it off for like eight hours while we sleep. And I'm curious, do you know if your phone, if your Wi-Fi isn't on your phone, if you're just on cellular, is that Mm -hmm. less EMF coming off? Is there still some coming off? I mean, there's still going to be some coming off. I try to keep my phone on airplane mode. Oh yeah. In another room. And then even on airplane mode, you get scalar waves. There's always going to be something coming off. So the only way to really fully protect yourself from it is put it in a Faraday bag or, you know, but there's the inverse square law. So the further away that you are from that device, the better. And then it's also going to depend on your proximity to towers and, and things like that. So Using a, like a Trifield 2, which is an EMF meter or safe and sound, both of those are good to kind of actually see what is going on can be helpful or getting a building biologist. If you're like struggling with weird, mysterious health issues, having a building biologist come out, take a look at things to see what's optimal in your house, that can be helpful too. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it just, I just think distance is the best thing. Mm-hmm. It just all comes back to how we evolved to be on the earth and all now the modern day things that disrupt that signaling because the body is incredibly intelligent and knows what to do. Mm-hmm. The signaling systems are in place. The electrical conductivity, you know, evolved over time to be what it is. And it's, I always say modern living. I just feel like I'm constantly like, ah, yeah, you know, like defending I know, myself I know. something new and it, it's, it's true. And I know, you know, some people just give up and like, it's not even worth it. It's too much, but I disagree. <laughs> it's super overwhelming yeah. and we've all made a lot of mistakes on the path. It is. I feel like there's like a tide turn where we're figuring out some really basic things like like mm-hmm. this, like light signaling and mineralization. Mm-hmm. It's like th- these are like foundational. Yep. I agree. Yeah, and and I always think about just like l- making small changes. I always tell people the morning routine is so important to start there. And that can usually move the needle a lot for people as far as energy goes. And then you're going to find, you know, and even with the food thing, because everyone's like, oh, I'm going to start a new diet. I'm going to do all this thing. I'm going to have this. And I'm like, don't try to do it all in the same freaking week because you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to feel like it's too hard and you can't do it. So start with light, do the, do your light routines first. And believe it or not, the morning light is really, really a rich time that neurotransmitters are being synthesized as well. So dopamine and serotonin, those can actually help with appetite regulation. They do help with appetite regulation. Morning light is extremely helpful. And then again, getting that leptin signaling happening again, because you're working on your morning and evening routines and maybe popping out a few times a day to actually get natural light on your skin and eyes. But just doing those little things can actually help you move towards a healthier way of eating. I don't force it with people. Like I was always like nutrition first, cut out everything, you know, mm-hmm. have to eat this way. And I'm like, okay, no, let's do these things first. And then a lot of times people naturally start to gravitate more towards like a local seasonal type of way of eating and their appetite regulates. Mm-hmm. So you talk about like go outside and and view the sunrise. And so we're not meaning looking directly at the sun, although you kind of no. can when it's very low in the sun. I do. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, I do. It's, it's different for everyone. Like I, t- I don't tell people to do that. I'm like, don't do it if it's bothering your eyes. But a lot of people can get to the point where they can sun gaze and it's okay. You know, people work up to it when it's super low on the horizon, like just coming up or just about to go down. You know, I've experimented with it, but gaze, you know, towards the area, towards the The general direction. Yeah. Yep. Where the sun is coming up or going down Um, in the morning, do that before you look at your phone. Another, right. So many of us just immediately go to our phones. Oh, I did it for years. Me too. Along with the last thing before bed, which I want to go back to what you said, because I think it's so important. It's not relaxing scrolling on Mm -hmm. our phone. It might feel like it is because your body is in repose or your body is still, but 
It's not relaxing. It's not. It's not. And then you, you know, when you're scrolling, you don't know what you're going to get. Like, (laughs) especially if you're like on Instagram, like looking at reels, it's like, oh, this is funny. This is funny. Oh, this woman's husband died. Oh, this woman's child died. Like, Mm -hmm. I hate that. And I will fall. Sometimes I'll kind of scroll a little bit in the middle of the day because I want to get ideas for a reel or hear like, oh, that's a fun audio. I could make a reel using that. Like, so occasionally I will scroll through reels like that and I will get sent reels. And I'm like, that's freaking devastating. Like Instagram will send me funny, funny, funny. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Funny, funny. Oh shit. That's horrible. You know? And then you feel like all these different emotions. You're like, should I do that before bed? Um, no, yeah. I should not. I no. should not be doing that before bed. Actually, it's more of know, a time probably, of going inward. Yeah, it probably has to do with resetting my circadian rhythm. But I, I'm just like so much less interested in my phone and in Instagram than I have been for Good. 11 years. I've been on the app for 11 years. It's been a major part of my life. Everyone listening probably found me there. But it's just like this. It, I'm just not interested. It's not been difficult to put it down as I'm trying to live my actual life. <laughs> Well, blue light is also extremely, and it creates a lot of dopamine as well. And so when you turn your phone screen on red and have on blue blockers, I find people even just putting their phone screen on red, they pick up their phone and they use it less Mm -hmm. because they're not getting that huge dopamine hit from looking at that huge burst of blue light um, that's inappropriate unless, you know, it's the middle of the day in June and you're looking at it. It's yeah. And so people have a lot less of that reward from looking at a red phone screen than they would if they were looking at this big, you know, blue lit screen. Yeah. Have you ever put your phone on grayscale? Oh yeah. That's no fun either. (laughs) You're just like, oh, this is completely interesting. (laughs) I don't care what my phone shows me. I'm not interested. It's so interesting. Exactly. That light and those colors signal our brain like that. Yep. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. I'm so grateful for this. I just... I just want to share the news and that's what we're doing. And so you have, you have so many resources that I'm just thinking of like all the questions people like I live in a city, you live in a city, um, yeah. I have kids. you have kids, you have a baby, you know, I, all, all these reasons why things can be hard. People who are shift workers or, so you have answers yes. is what I'm trying to say. Um, I do. I do. You have so much free information on your Instagram, but yeah, just tell folks, you know, where they can find you and all your courses and all that. Yeah. And I'll send you um, a list of links so that they can access all these things. But I have on Instagram, it's at Sarah Kleiner Wellness. I have a free guide to building your perfect circadian quantum day. And I'll put a link that you can share with your audience for that. I have an FAQ guide that's got over like a hundred questions, like the ones you just mentioned, ship workers. I live in a city. I've got kids. How do I do this? I've kind of gone through and answered all those questions in my free guide. And then I have courses for people who want to dive deeper from, you know, how to reset their leptin, a quantum nutrition course. I've got a whole bunch of different courses that people can do if they, again, want to learn more about this and dive a little bit more deeply as well. Yeah. Harnessing the power of the sun is the one that really answered all my questions about circadian rhythm and totally changed my life. And I'm really interested in the leptin one because yes, oh yeah, I gained, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds in the last year without really changing my diet too much. I don't eat too much. It's my metabolism's broken. My signaling systems are all broken in my body. And so it's inspiring to hear how helpful it has been for people. Yeah, it has. It's super helpful. And I have women, you know, it gets harder as you get into your forties and I have women in their fifties, sixties, seventies. I even got a woman this weekend who's in her eighties, just thanking me. She had lost weight with the program. I'm like, okay, awesome. (laughs) So Yeah. Yeah. How great to share information that isn't restrictive and does no harm and just allows exactly innate biological intelligence to surface. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and always put any relevant links in the show notes, which you can find by just scrolling down from wherever you pushed play on this episode. 
You can find all past episodes and our handmade herbal medicine at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, St. John's wort, mugwort, yarrow, redwood. We've got body oils, sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, and more. While you're there, be sure to check out our fun quiz, which healing herb is your spirit medicine? It's lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your time. There are dozens and dozens of killer bonuses there, ebooks, bonus conversations, uh, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning, coupon codes, behind the scenes stuff. And the best of it is available at the $5 a month level. And it literally makes the show possible. You can also subscribe or follow. Uh, depending on which podcast app you prefer. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. That's M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U. Thank you, my beautiful friend Marie. And thank you for listening. I look forward to next time. <laughs>